Welcome to episode 100 of This Week in Cricket on the Top Order Podcast. We've brought up 100 episodes of This Week in Cricket and it's a very special format for you this afternoon. Stuart and I are in the commentary box and we're going to walk through just an incredible test match between England and New Zealand at Trent Bridge. We'll touch on Australia and Sri Lanka too, as well as India's victory over South Africa in an ODI or a T20. Some white ball cricket happened, (laughs) but we're going to care about the England and New Zealand series because everything is happening, all that and more, on this 100th episode of the Top Order Podcast This Week in Cricket. Stay tuned. Holy smoke, Stuart. 100 episodes. Who would have thought we'd get there? 100 episodes of This Week in Cricket, and we've got an absolute firecracker of a game to talk about. England against New Zealand in Trent Bridge. Who would have thought it would end this way? New Zealand racking up records, Daryl Mitchell racking up records, and then England racking up almost even more records. It was just an absolute feast of entertainment in Test Cricket, and Test Cricket is still, I think everyone would agree, the best format of the game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, no arguments here from from me. I mean, I think we should uh, we should probably address the elephant in the room. We haven't binned Binksy. It's not a. I haven't sent him home just because England uh, now, have now won the series, which has uh, kind of gone unnoticed with the fact that they won this test because that was almost as remarkable as uh, as as actually the turnaround of them winning the series. But uh, unfortunately, I guess like maybe like Kane Williamson, Binksy's been struck down late. Uh, with COVID, so at home uh, resting, and, and Raj is actually busy tonight as well. So it's just the two of us trying to. I mean, we were we were considering do we go on, but actually I needed a bit of processing trying to figure out. I guess where New Zealand is at in this series, but we've got to start with England, and maybe we start with the the, the man of the moment, and and he's your man, Baldy Johnny Bester. I mean, what innings that was! Oh, it was an incredible performance, wasn't it? In a chase where England were at the halfway stage, if we'd like to call it that, 90, 90 for four after 25 overs and needed another 200 runs in order to even get close to victory. Uh, and going into the last session, needed 160 in a session, four down on day five. And just that belief, that absolute belief that England can do it with Bairstow and Ben Stokes at the crease, anything is possible. And they were able to take down that New Zealand attack with, look, let's 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 face it, that was audacious batting. It was absolutely audacious batting. Every delivery they went after, Alex Lees really set the tone absolutely. in that chase. He turned into Matt Hayden. What was uh, going on? Unbelievable. The first ball of the, of the chase, he crashed it to the fence for four. The second one, he crashed it to the fence through point for four, one hand on the bat. And that really set the tone for, for England. 12 months ago, we wouldn't have seen that performance from well, England. So well, we didn't. 12 so, months ago, we had this performance, and it didn't. we had almost the same kind of scenario. I think it was 75 overs to get about 280 or something. It was very, very similar kind of setup, and they didn't even look like chasing it at any moment. I mean, you'd have to compare Alex Lees and, and Dom Sibley uh, just looking at their performances on, on that. I think Dom Sibley batted for a whole session and scored 17 runs. Alex Lees almost had 17 runs after that first over. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it shortly, I'm sure, about mindset and uh, one Brendan McCullum that might have uh, at least... Something has changed in that, in that England that. mindset, right? Yeah. And and they are... A, they are Look, they were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. 
we'll get to New Zealand and how they bowled during the course of this test match because I think there are some takeaways there. But let's run through a couple of those stats you've got there. Let's start with New Zealand's first innings because New Zealand piled on 553, which is a big score to lose in a test match. I think it's New Zealand's biggest... I mean, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's New Zealand's biggest first inning score to end in a loss, uh, which obviously is not a great record that you want. But, uh, I mean, yeah, just it, it, there's just remarkable stuff that they got so... It, it sort of felt like a bizarro test match because in the first test we had all of those kind of uh, nobody could score runs apart from Mitchell, Blundell and Root. Those those three scored runs again. Yeah, but, in the first inning. But suddenly everyone else was just charging on with runs, and it's the pitch was com- you know the pitch was completely different. It seemed like even on that last day, I mean, I think they scored about 50 in, in three or four overs on that um, in that third session, England. There, after, yeah, we'll, after we'll get to that. They scored 68 in five overs at one point when Johnny Bairstow was going berserk and New Zealand decided that they were going to bowl short to him uh, when he was hitting to the shortest boundary in world cricket, it looked like. But he was, it was putting them 57 rows back, so it probably would have gone for six on any ground. That 553, only three test teams have scored more runs than that in the first innings in the history of Test cricket and lost. Daryl Mitchell will go completely unheralded in this Test match. He shouldn't because he scored 190 in the first innings and Mm. 60 not out in the second innings. He scored over 250 runs in the match. That's top 10 all time in terms of runs scored in losing causes. I mean, he's only 100 off Brian Lara, got 350, can you believe it, in How a test match? Oh, ridiculous. Brian Lara's ridiculous. He's got eight performances where he scored 200 runs in a test and it, and his team still lost. He's unbelievable. We'll get to him in the Hall of Fame. But <laughs> Daryl Mitchell, look, he's continued to stand up for New Zealand. Probably wouldn't have played in the first test if Kane was fit and Henry Nichols was available. Mm. As it turns out, Nichols injury and now Kane with COVID. Mitchell keeps his place in the side and he's He's been just superb, and I, I think he's must pick now for New Zealand. Oh, absolutely! I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll get to that when we come to um, you know looking at this third test. But uh, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, Mitchell's probably got. You think about any other kind of scenario, Mit- Mitchell would have now. I, I don't know, six months or so. You've you've got a certain number of tests. I think after you score back to back hundreds, one of them's almost to double. You score another fifty odd in the. In the second innings. When teams falling apart around you. He was, I mean, he did kind of run out two of his players. But anyway, well... The swings and roundabouts for Daryl Mitchell. He, he also he, dropped a couple of catches, and we'll get to the New Zealand catching as well, which was which was pr- a, pr- a pretty big decisive point in this test match, I think. Yeah, I mean, why don't we go there now? Because I, I sort of feel like it's such a weird test from an overall standpoint, because I think you look at that first innings, New Zealand scores 553 there, and, you got, and England would have been going... We've dropped a couple of chances here. We could we could have been you know restricted that score to a, a completely different scenario. Absolutely, two days into this test match, and New Zealand had piled on five hundred and fifty, and England were what ninety for one at the close of play at the end of day two. We were looking at that test match and going, well, England have missed opportunities here. The catching that was so spectacular and superb and so clinical in the first test had deserted them early in the second test. And I was actually wondering after day two, which England team are we seeing here? Are we mm. seeing the one that can catch really, really well and take their opportunities at Lords, Or are we reverting to type here at Trent Bridge? So this test match has 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 really been a roller coaster ride for fans, and as a neutral fan, it's been fantastic to watch. But I imagine that you've probably taken what three or four months off your life just watching <laughs> this test match over the course of the five days. Well, this test series, to be honest, I think I said last time that the you know those first first sessions of uh, 
of all the days or of, of all the days of that last test were incredibly stressful as a New Zealand fan. It was just when when all the wickets were falling for New Zealand and it was when uh, you know when when things didn't look good and all the bits that you were kind of missing out on or watching on delay for for a New Zealander if you were actually getting up and going to work, which unfortunately I've had to do during this test series. That those were the the times when New Zealand actually kind of got themselves back into the match and and uh, put themselves in good positions. But yeah, I mean this this one it was a, a much more sedate pace, I guess, until that final day. I mean, well, I say that, but England scored. England scored almost 400 on that third day. I mean, that must be close to a record as well. Well, well the, the, you have a look at the run rates in this match. England, uh, New Zealand's 553 was at 3.8 runs and over. England's 539 was at 4.2s. New Zealand went at 3.35, relatively pedestrian, but still well over threes mm. to get their 284 all out. And then England made 299 for five in a 50 over game, uh, just with a red ball and some white coloured clothing. So this has been one of the most entertaining test matches from a run scoring point of view that we've ever seen. We had a result on day five, you know, there were what? Uh, there was a, 35 a, wickets taken in the course of the test match. And, this is and perfect think, entertainment. This is absolutely exactly what test match cricket should be all about. Absolutely. And I, I well, I saw some stat, maybe again, maybe uh, I, I don't, this has not been verified by anyone, but I saw that it's the most boundaries in, in a test match. I did, I've, I feel like there must have been uh, a test match where there was more runs scored, you know, a lot more runs scored, but maybe not because of the the high run rates that were, you know, both teams scored over five hundred. So absolutely total aggregate, maybe that is true. And um, yeah, just it's just amazing that those there was. If you think about a game where both teams score five hundred in the first innings, I can't ever think that there would be one hundred percent. They're all draws. Is that actual? Well, I don't know, but <laughs> they, they would they would almost certainly all be draws. So yeah. to to fabricate a result out of this out of this test match has just been amazing. Let's touch on the New Zealand batting, um, and then we'll then we'll get on to the England batting because I think England are in you know in in line for some pretty deserving praise here. But mm. let's have a look at some of the England bat. Uh, sorry, the New Zealand batting. Obviously, we've touched on Mitchell. Tom Blundell continues to have a good series with the bat. He yep. has been under pressure coming into this series as someone who is liable to be replaced. I mean, you know, Cam Fletcher, um, Dane Cleaver, Dane Cleaver has been in- included in New Zealand squad. So there's been pressure on Tom Blundell to hold his spot. He has been, he has had a really good series. Yeah, I mean, keeping, I know we touched on it a little bit last week, keeping was a little bit untidy, particularly in that first innings, I thought. I thought, it, the, the um, you know, I haven't watched every single ball of the second innings, given that it happened overnight uh, last night. But, uh, yeah, I thought he was much tidier in that second innings from every every bit that I saw. But, yeah, I, with the bat, I completely agree. It seemed like Blundell, for the most part, hadn't scored, you know, at too many innings of significance for New Zealand. And now he's scored twice in situations where it, it could have gone quite badly for New Zealand. He scored runs in both those two partnerships with Mitchell that he's put on. There have been times when, yeah, New Zealand was in that kind of precarious position where, Okay, we could if he if Blundell gets out now, we could really struggle to put on a competitive total. And both times, Mitchell and Blundell just knuckled down, knuckled down, but in their way. You know, they they. I heard someone say that uh, you don't have to be a right hand and left hand combination to complement each other really, really well and make the bowlers bowl in different ways. And Mitchell and Blundell was a perfect example of that because of the way that they look to score their runs. You know, Mitchell's coming at the bowler quite often, whereas Blundell's sort of. Yeah, he's uh, you've played it. Just played a, a shadow cut there. Yeah, 
he's much more a back foot player, nudging it off his hip, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very, very impressed with, with what he's done, particularly with the bat. And, uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think there's any question now. Unfortunately for Cam Fletcher, he's sustained a hamstring injury on the field, you know, out there sub-fielding. Uh, so his tour of, of England is over. He's out for about six or eight weeks now, I think. So Dane Cleaver's been called into that squad. So, I mean, unfortunate for Cam, obviously, just to not be around that squad anymore. And mm. I mean, you could see, uh, I think in the, that first day, you could see the emotion, uh, even just him standing on uh, on the balcony at Lords when the anthem was playing and stuff. It was really cool to see. So, yeah, shame not for him not to be there. But, um, yeah, impressive stuff from Blundell. And I think he's put that kind of que- that question, you know, again, like I said, with, with Mitchell, he's sort of bought himself some more time. Not in the sense, not in the sense that you know now he can just go out and fail, but he'll certainly you know he's got a lot more lives now. You would think. I would think so as well. The top three, a few starts for Latham, Will Young, and Devin Conway. Will Young teasing again with a fifty in this Test match and then getting out. What did you make of that that performance from the from the top three for New Zealand? Yeah, well, Young. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Young. Like I said last time, a stock. I have held on to my Will Young stock, and I was pretty impressed with what he did. It's a real shame that he got run out in that second innings. Um, it was just sort of an unnecessary thing to have happened. And actually, if you look at that sec- New Zealand second innings, there's not many dismissals that weren't unnecessary. Mm. I, I think some of that contributed to the fact that they were trying to, you know, push they the were trying along, to push yeah. for, for a win as well. But yeah, I mean, I still think Will Young's got a lot of talent at the top of the order. I still think he's well worth persevering with. But now that Mitchell's put his hand up. You're going to run into that question. I mean, we may as well have that conversation now. You've got Latham, you've got Young, you've got Conway, you've got Williamson if he comes back into the mix, you've got Nichols, you've got Mitchell, and then you've got Blundell. That's seven, and probably they're not going to, you know, that's probably not necessarily the way they picked this side. It looks like Michael Bracewell probably is still going to be number seven. So I don't quite know who you leave out because it's very, very difficult. It's, it's going to be a massive question for New Zealand going forward. Let's hold that until we have a look towards the third test and beyond because the all-rounder spot for New Zealand is up for grabs now with Colin de Grandholm being out. Let's touch on the all-rounders in this test. Michael Bracewell, 49 in the first innings and three wickets. It was all going so swimmingly well for him, but it kind of did fall apart there in the second innings a little bit on debut. Yeah, I don't know about falling apart. I think I think that's a pretty tough... The, the idea that he was going to bowl us to victory is pretty rough, and on someone that isn't a frontline spinner. I don't think I don't think the intent is for Michael Bracewell to bowl New Zealand to victory on day five, or it shouldn't be if he's a part-time spinner batting at seven. That's effectively what he is. He's their fifth bowler yep. or fifth bowling option. The thing that sticks in my craw is that AJ's was picked in the first test. Different circumstances, different captain, I know, but AJ's was picked in the first test by, what, two overs in the entire test match. Yeah. Now in this test, you've picked a part-time spinner and thrown him in the deep end on debut against two guys that are trying to smash the ball out of the park and were incredibly successful at doing so. He's gone for 60 runs off his eight overs to finish the game. It looks like he's lost. Like, if you looked at this statistically and an alien landed on planet Earth and looked at this scorecard, he would go, well, Michael Brace will cost New Zealand the game there. He hasn't, but that is the perception. And... I think it's t- it's tough for that young guy because the, the the full-time spinner didn't get a go. He's bowled 25 overs and hasn't been tremendously successful in the second innings. It's a tough gig being an office stew. It is, and I think that, uh, you know, when you look at that second innings, something that hasn't been, well, I haven't seen it in a huge amount, and I think rightly so because England was so uh, incredible, but 
the fact that they didn't have Kyle Jameson in that innings is pretty significant in terms of what New Zealand's plans were and, and probably how they were going to distribute the bowling. I don't, you know, I don't think you see Michael Bracewell. Michael Bracewell bowled those uh, in the, his overs in the first innings. I don't think he came on until his 68th over or something. So New Zealand, it was it was always New Zealand's plan to run with their seamers, and then Michael Bracewell was an option to come in and bowl some overs. Yeah, you know, I think by the time he was bowling, and by the time he was bowling in this game. It was a couple of different times. One of them, they were thinking, okay, if we can tempt Stokes here and get him, at, you know, get a get a wicket, buy his wicket, yeah, then that's going to be huge for our scenario. And by the end, it was like we got, like we just used all of our our options here. But, but they didn't use all of their options though. They still had Daryl Mitchell. Yeah, this is what I, I th- this is what this is what I don't like about the New Zealand setup at the moment. And if I'm being highly critical, New Zealand have an option there in Daryl Mitchell who can bowl. I know he's not the greatest bowler in the world. He's maybe not as good as Colin de Gronholm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he is an option there for you. And, yeah, he's, and, an, he's and, an option. And, and and he is in such good form that he could just jag a wicket. Like he could he could be that guy. He could come in and arm. and and just have the golden arm and break a partnership and that's all you need in that scenario. So I I would have liked to have seen them try Daryl Mitchell for two or three overs just to see if he can break a partnership rather than go back to Michael Bracewell and go, "You know what? Okay, it's going to be good for his development if he can bounce back from that having been in probably the lowest of the low pretty much, you know, 60 off 8 overs is not a great debut. He's I, I can only go I up know. from there. I, I don't know if he feels that way. I, I, I hope he doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Cuz I don't know that I would if I was in his shoes. I think you you're disappointed obviously you've lost the game, but I, I don't yeah, I don't, I don't think from his point of I think the what he did in the first inning certainly is encouraging and the fact that he bowled he was getting a lot of plaudits, and rightly so, for just the way he bowled, the way it was coming out, the way he was getting the arc on his delivery. I think that the signs that he's showing are really positive. What that means for New Zealand and their spin and what we're going to do, I think, is you know, is maybe is quite alarming in terms of uh, if, if you were AJS Patel and you're a big AJS Patel fan. We are. Because... I, I don't quite know, you know, how, if, if they think Bracewell has got the potential to at least do some of what AJAZ can do, then I think that's pretty worrying for, for AJAZ. But, yeah, I, I don't think you're alarmed necessarily if you're Michael Bracewell because because of all the things we've said. I mean, mm. that game got out of hand so quickly for New Zealand. I think at it, tea time there, you're going 160, we get one wicket here. I know folks has batted well, and actually when he, even when he came out in this game, he... You know, he did it pretty easily at the end there as well. But I think you're thinking at that point, like four or five overs here and then and we pick up a wicket and they're gonna have to block out for the well, for the draw. Well well and four or five overs, ex- it was seventy ex- runs. And exactly. suddenly you just the game was out of hand. Exactly. I mean you have a look at the first innings, six for five hundred and sixteen when Root is dismissed all out. 5.30 or 5.39 when Anderson is dismissed last wicket, to, last wicket to fall. So New Zealand would have been thinking, right, we need two here. Yep. We need Bairstow and Stokes, and then we're into oh, the bowlers. The would, yeah. And, and, then, we're, bowlers, and then we're away. they would have thought, we can get rid of them pretty yeah. quickly. So so I understand the thinking, but I was disappointed not to see them see them try that option. And you're right. The, the New Zealand scene bowlers let that game get out of hand a little bit. Did they miss Neil Wagner in the team? It's easy to say that in hindsight with a guy injured and and Southie Bolt Henry going for a lot of runs in the second innings. But did New Zealand miss a trick in not picking Neil Wagner? See, I, I'm torn on this, and I we can maybe then move to another thing I'm torn on. But I I think they clearly when I look at that side and the balance of the side, Matt Henry and Tim Southie. I, they are different bowlers, but I think there's more overlap than if you pick 
Neil Wagner. To me, I would have gone, well, if if Saudi or Bolt are out, then that's when you pick Henry and, and then you know, if you're picking another, if you're picking four seamers, Wagner's the one you want in a game like this, particularly where, you know, I mean, look at that third session when they did get all of those runs. They went to a short pitch attack and you don't he's have... He's the best you, bowler in the world for that for that strategy, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. You might not say he's the best bowler in the world overall, but for that strategy, I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find anyone else in the world that, that can do the job in the as way that he does. Yeah, as consistently as he does it. That's the thing that I think they missed terribly in that second innings. When yeah. they went short to Johnny Bairstow and when they went short, generally throughout the test series and in this, sorry, in this test match and in the series, they have missed not having Neil Wagner there to be able to execute. I mean, the, when, when he walked onto the, when he was out on, there on the field, because he was for most of that second, uh, that second innings for England, and you could hear him chirping away. He was the most, uh, the most positive. The well, I mean, maybe he's standing closer to the mics than, than everyone else. But he, you know, you could hear the enthusiasm, and and I think that is infectious. As, you know, I, you're not going to find too in, anyone really in, in any New Zealand cricket fans that doesn't want Neil Wagner in the team mm. all the time. But I guess they thought, you know, that he, potentially what he offers. Is not as is not as good as Matt Henry because the ball was still swinging. I actually thought Henry bowled reasonably well. I you know I don't think that he's you know he's not to blame. I, I actually sort of weird that I don't actually think many of the bowlers bowled particularly badly in this test. The only the only time I think they bowled badly is when they went short to Johnny Bairstow hitting yeah. into the leg side to that short boundary at Trent Bridge. That's the that's the tactical error that I think New Zealand made in that test match because it didn't take very much bat on it, and let's face it, Johnny Besto was getting plenty of bat on it by that point. Mm. It didn't take much on the ball for that ball to either fly over Blundell's head for four or six or fly 30 or 40 rows back into the stand. And by the time he'd hit a couple, he'd figured out that this is where the ball's going to be, and he was just lining them up by the end of it, and, and he just kept hitting further and further and further. And to be fair to Johnny Besto, most of those sixes would have been sixes on any ground, but oh, I yeah. think that was a tactical error for New Zealand to go short to him at that end yeah. of the ground. Yeah. Um, and well, that allowed him to get away. He was away then, and he was just... Like from there, they couldn't stop him. No. They tried to dry the ball up. They tried to go wide of off stump back of a length, and he was in such good form and such good touch by that point. He was just smashing the ball on the up. Those off drives through the offside would balls that ordinarily would be dry line outside off stump, sixth or seventh stump channel back of a length that you would expect the batter to leap, but he was just crashing them through the offside for four, and he was unstoppable at that point. You couldn't bowl to him without bowling a wide, in my view. Absolutely, and you know we're going to see we're going to see how. How much Neil Wagner could have contributed because we're going to see him at Headingley. I, you know, there's pretty much no doubt in my mind that we will now because Kyle Jameson's obviously out of the series and out for a little while. Unfortunately, a stress stress reaction in his back, which I never quite know the difference between a stress reaction and a stress fracture. But obviously, I don't think either of them are very good. Neither of them are good. So uh, yeah, so that's not ideal for him. But yeah, I mean, I think if you had to say what was more impactful for New Zealand, not having. Neil Wagner in the side or not having Jameson for that final uh, final innings, I actually think it's not having Jameson because you... you Well, you're down a bowler, you're right? You're down a bowler and, a, and you're down options. And mm. um, Jameson would have provided something different in that, in that last innings. Bright spots for England all over the show in this test match, particularly in their batting. Let's touch on their batting. Alex Lee, 67 in the first innings, got them off to a really, really good start. And then in the second innings, 44 off 81, but was instrumental in setting the tone in that second innings. I've been really impressed with 
with uh, Alex Lees in this test and this series in general. Uh, Zach Crawley, a couple of quiet um, scores here, four yeah, and naught. While we're on Crawley, do you think the, the win, d- does the win save him in that next game? I think my bold prediction was too bold at the start of the series where I predicted that an opener would be dropped. I don't think McCullum drops an opener at this point. They're 2-0 up. There's yeah. no reason to change that side. Zach Crawley run, runs out again and probably will run out for the rest of the summer, I would have thought. I would, I would have he, thought. If he fails again. So so the option then, the option then is to bring Ollie Pope up or to find another opener. Yeah. Harry Brooks waiting in the wings, but is, I think is a middle-order batter. We'll have yeah, to check yeah. with Binksy next, next episode. No, is, I it, think he's okay. Yeah, it'd probably, they'd have to come outside the squad and, and get someone like Compton who scored the 100 in the um, warm-up game against New Zealand. Looked very good as, you know, obviously I haven't seen a huge amount of him other than... Scoring the, a lot of runs, though. That, but... Pile so I, I, I think they stick with him for a little while. I don't think my bold prediction of dropping openers comes true just yet. Ollie Pope, though, a well, big... Binksy's, Binksy's bold, promote, bold uh, prediction almost did come true. Well, we have to give him some credit for 145. It's not a quite quite a double ton, but he did score 100 and looked really uh, assured doing it. He looked pretty good in the second innings as well before, before getting out. Is this the making of Ollie Pope? Are we getting too excited by saying he's a lock now for England at number three? Or is this just a, a, a step on the journey? Well, I, I, th- I mean, you asked, you asked Binksy. I mean, we were talking in the in our chat today. Obviously, that Binksy and Raj aren't here, but you know, we were we were in the sense of talking more in the sense of McCullum, and uh, you know, because I, I think it, if I was an England fan, I would be absolutely bananas about what's just the turnaround. And we talked about it before of what happened twelve months ago, and just the way that they're playing now, and and that that it's turning into positive results. We'll see later on in the summer whether that. Uh, actually is true and, and what to make of this New Zealand performance and whether England can sustain it and all of that stuff. But, I, th- I, I you know, Binksy's comment was that, you know, maybe it gets worse before it gets better. And I think that for Pope, unfortunately, it's kind of been like that his whole career. It looks like he's about to turn that corner and looks like he's getting into Nick and then just suddenly has a run of low scores. So, I mean... It, for any batter, right? It's for Mit- even for Daryl Mitchell, who's just put on this run of scores, and for someone like Mitchell, actually, every time he's been asked to do something for New Zealand in almost any format, he's come in and done it. But you still have to then go on and back it up and put some scores together. So it's still a wait and see on whether you know Ollie Pope's going to be the next Joe Root. But if you can't fault what he did in that in that innings. He was he was outstanding in that first innings and put on a big partnership, I think, with Joe Root. What was it, sort of? Uh, two for 147 when they got together, and then you know they went over to 334 for three. Uh, so they put on a, a quite a, a partnership. He and Joe Root. Joe Root is just incredible again. What's that? 27 Test hundreds now. It's hundred after hundred after hundred. He's got ten hundreds in about 18 months or something. It's it's unbelievable form now. He it, is. It d- is actually unbelievable. I, I'm. I keep thinking, oh, like how do I kind of process this? Because it's just, it is unbelievable. It's so, it's just runs after runs after runs. And it's, it was stunning to see him get out actually yesterday when, when he got caught and bowled for a low score. It was shocking. I couldn't believe it. It was shocking. Absolutely shocking. Everyone, I think, and everyone in the ground went, Joe's out. (laughs) It it almost felt like, I don't want to get too carried away, but almost felt one of those, those Bradman-esque moments, which like he's out. And and that you could hear the whole crowd kind of deflate in that in that chase, but then obviously Stokes and and Bairstow saw them home. I've I've been super impressed with Joe Root. He continues to improve and improve and improve. If that big four, he's 
He's, you know, got the most runs now. He's up there with 2,700. Yeah, we, so we have, have to, to delete, revisit that. Delete that episode it's, from our Hall of Fame. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 okay, well. it's okay to change your mind if something <laughs> changes your mind. If Joe Root is continuing to perform like this, mate, he is going to end up almost at the top of that list of those big four batters. Uh, certainly putting pay to the can't convert 50s into 100s. He's been absolutely superb of late, 176. Just incredible. And... I guess continuing on from that conversation around the the mindset and and McCullum and Stokes and this new regime, I guess, Binksy had said, yeah, thinks that it might get worse before it gets better, and it's you know that he has he has only had such a short time with the squad. If uh, you know if if they had got all out and chasing the score, everyone would, you know the, the tough English press would have been on them saying yes, they would if, have, and they would have, they but. You know what are they doing? They had a series lead. They've thrown it away. All of that kind of stuff. But but they didn't. They won. Yeah, they won. And they were and and they they were incredibly positive. They went after a victory. All of this has got Brendan McCullum's fingerprints all over it. The execution is from the eleven guys on the field doing the job, and you cannot fault them for that. You cannot fault. Alex Lees for going out in the second innings and getting a half volley outside off stump and crashing it through the covers for four to set the tone, mm. and then you know. Everybody from there on just picked up where, where he left off. And I think it was an incredible performance in that second innings. We, we, we haven't touched on the bowlers yet. We haven't touched on the bowlers who toiled hard in, in batting-friendly conditions to get England to that point. But you have to praise the batters because if you're going to be tough on them when they lose going after a score, you've got to praise them when they win. And I think we just should just stand and applaud the English approach to this game because 12 months ago they wouldn't have gone for it and we saw we saw they had an opportunity to and they didn't. So we have to stand and applaud the fact that they did. It's hard for New Zealand fans, I'm sure, to kind of be on the receiving end of, of such a performance, you know, 200 runs. And, and, and sit there watching Brendan McCullum while it's happening. Exactly. <laughs> and and, it, and the and the, master, the, the mastermind of it is is a New Zealander who, you know, you guys applauded for 15 years for playing that way in his white ball and his red ball career. So to be fair, he, yeah, when you say applauded that way, I think there was a lot of, uh, and I was guilty of this at the time, when a lot of us did have that feeling that, you know, when, when that there was that moment where, you know, I'm, I don't know, I don't agree with this, but the World Cup final in 2015 when he was dismissed in the first over, you know, having a crack at Stark, I, you know, I think that's fine. He was, that's the way he played. A lot of people were very, very critical of McCullum. You know, biggest moment and he's gone in and done that. Why didn't he use some caution? Stark was their key bowler, all that kind of stuff. And that'll come out for England. Binksy is at 100% some point. right. He's 100% right. That when that's, when... Things don't go right for England when they do chase a game and it doesn't come off. It will be frustrating, and yeah. and 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 a lot of fans will go, "Why didn't you take the safety first approach?" Personally, as a particularly as a neutral fan, but also as a fan of attacking cricket, I I am just ecstatic at at what we witnessed in this Test match. This is everything that Test cricket can be mm. if you take the 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 view that it is an attacking game and you play test cricket to try and win it. Even if you have to get 160 in a session with six wickets in hand, Mm. go for it. Why not? The worst that can happen is that you lose. The best that can happen is is a game like this comes off. And the the confidence that each of these players, folks included, will take from this game is immeasurable, absolutely immeasurable. Stokes said this was the best win of his career. I, I, I mean, I find that quite staggering. He said he, he won said, a World Cup final. He said better than the World Cup final and better than uh, the win in the Ashes uh, when he batted with with Leach there at the end. Which, 
if he wants to give us back the World Cup final and uh, and take and he can keep this he, one, he can keep this one, and he can have the next one if if he wants to give us back the World Cup final. But I, I found that quite interesting. But I mean, th- there you go. That's the that's him saying how important it was. And I, and I, when you do go for a game like this, they'll be hugely you know they'll they'll feel on top of the world after this win. And and they'll they'll believe that they can do it again, right? This is an instilling of belief in this England side that from almost any position they can go after a test victory if they want to and if they need to, which is which is huge for them going forward. And we've we've spent sort of 30 minutes on England and New Zealand now. Before we move on, let's look ahead to the third test. Forced changes from New Zealand uh, with Jamison being injured. We don't know if Kane's going to be back and be ready, but let's assume... There's a longer, there's a longer break this time, so we don't start again. That third test doesn't start until the 23rd of June, so that gives us over a week now to... And, uh, recoup. To recoup, and he uh, was... I think they have to do five days isolation from the side. There's been no word of how he is and whether he was unwell with COVID and all that kind of stuff. There was... You know, he had slight symptoms as why he had the tests and, mm. and all of that stuff. But I guess... Best case scenario, he's probably let's leaving, say he's available. He's leaving his isolation now, or you know, very very soon, and getting back with the squad, and he'll have a week or stuff to get ready. So you would hope that he's he is available for he's, that test. He's available and good to go. Well, let's assume that Kane is ready, and let's assume probably safely that Kyle Jamison is unavailable for the test because he's going to be out for a while. Yep. Who comes in for Kyle Jamison? Is it is it Neil Wagner? I no question. Wag- I think it's Wagner. No question. And I suppose if you so you've got probably your your only decision now is. Uh, and I was going to ask Binksy kind of what Headingley plays like because your only real decision is uh, does do any of those other well, one do any of those other guys need a, a rest the Bolts and Southies who've had to do a lot of work in this game um, personally I don't think that they will or will want to rest you know especially with seven or eight nine days for rest after this in test, between tests in between yep. these tests maybe if it was a you know three or four day turnaround they might want one. But yeah, I, I mean, I th- I think it. I would be very surprised if it's not just roll those guys out. Blair Tickner's been brought into the squad to replace Cole Jameson. I think it'd be yeah pretty unlikely that he plays unless they go with, uh, you know, something out of the ordinary. Um, and then I mean, we talked about Ajaz. There hasn't been a lot of confidence in him, and it feels unlikely that we would go into a test in England with. I know Michael Bracewell is not necessarily a frontline spinner, but with two spin options, I don't think you would take two spin options into that test, right? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought so. I think it's Wagner in, Jamison out injured. Yep. Kane is going to come back. Well, let's assume that Kane comes back. We would assume that in a week's time he'll be fit and healthy and ready and raring to go. Who's he come in for? Well, I I, do, I actually just do not know, and I think the option is going to be. I think the the. Will Young's going to draw the short straw. If you had to make me select, that that is what I think will happen. It's pretty unlucky after just scoring, after getting fifty in your last innings and being run out. You scored forty six or forty seven or what you know late forties in that first innings. He looked good. He's you know finally started to get get past that first nervous nervous, nervous moments that he has. Yeah, and then you know looked very comfortable at the crease. Started playing some shots again. But yeah, I mean, you're not going to drop Conway. You're not, you know, Williamson's an automatic back in the side. Mitchell's been unbelievable. Nichols, Nichols and Latham, you know, haven't had a great series so far. But you know, they've they've got the money in the bank, I guess. And I suppose you know, I, we I said it before about uh, this New Zealand side and how we've got uh, how Mitchell has probably earned himself another six months or something. But 
actually it's it's going to if these guys do keep performing it's going to be pretty the, the likes of a Latham and a likes of a Nichols are not going to be able to just rest on their laurels and think you know we are in the side and we're we're nailed down for selection because yeah if they've got guys nipping on their heels if Will Young can you know continue the form that he had shown before that and then we've looked you know even you look at uh, first class cricket in the UK that's just going on we've seen Glenn Phillips piling on the runs in the blast and then scored 100 in the county championship round that's just gone Rachin Ravindra played one game uh, got you know got released just played one game first class cricket in the UK and scored a double 100 so it's not a bad way to to make your debut but you know, we're starting with late. Rutherford was in that squad. Yeah, these there's, there's, it's going to be difficult for them to pick their their side going forward if they if they've got all of these names in the bank and guys like uh, I think Nichols is probably as incredible a summer as he has you know has had at various times. It, it's he's probably the one that you start to think okay, well if Mitchell's kind of fighting for him for for that middle order slot because otherwise you kind of have to change Conway and, and do a, a bunch of different things so yeah it's it, it's a it's a good problem to have but um, I don't really know how you solve it necessarily other than Will Young dropping out or you know Michael Bracewell makes way and you just play the four seamers but that seems unlikely given the way that this test went and uh, and the way that they've built their side for the last wee while. I think New Zealand will go in with with four seamers. They'll go in with Michael Bracewell again, and they'll and they'll just ask their their bowlers to stay to stay fit and on and on the paddock, and that will that will help them tremendously. That, I think I think helpful. Kane comes in for Will Young. To be honest, I know it's hard, I know it's really harsh on Will Young, but I don't think at this point you can drop uh, Conway. I don't think at this point you can drop Henry Nichols. Mitchell picks himself, and I think you know you slot Devin Conway up to open the batting. Kane comes in at three, and then you go from there. England will roll out the same team, you would assume. I don't think they'll rest or rotate any of their fast bowlers. Matthew Potts has looked good. Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, will never want to not play another test match again. And Jack Leach has been doing a solid job. So England are going to go from a team that has been chopping and changing, you know, like like cutting up herbs, to a team <laughs> that, that is going to stick to their team three, three tests in a row, which is almost unbelievable. Absolutely. And look, I mean, before we leave this series and, and I guess touch on a few other little things that have been going on, uh, around the cricket world that we we want to mention briefly, can you help me from a neutral point of view? What do I make of New Zealand's two performances so far in this series? Because I'm very much still on the fence. I've yeah probably gone back and forth in this episode already about how I feel about this series, and because I look at the series and think New Zealand could easily be two 0 up, and I don't think we've played particularly bad cricket. I think for the most part. We've played a lot of good cricket. There's, you know, there hasn't. There's been a few moments of kamikaze and things going wrong and some poor bowling and, and you know, I think that there's been patches of uh, stuff and that's probably why we're not two nil up in this series. But you know, I, it was a series where I think when you looked from the outside, you probably thought New Zealand should probably win this series the way that the last wee while has been going. But then New Zealand's home summer wasn't that good either. So. I don't know. Help me I think figure this out. Of, I, I of, think you've got to put the home summer aside, right? Because New Zealand did play some some poor cricket at, at various points in that home summer and were beaten quite comprehensively as, as a result. In this series, England have, in both of these test matches, won a couple of key moments, which always helps. Mm. In this case, I think New Zealand have played an 8.5 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10. It just so happened in this particular game that England played a nine and a half out of 10. Okay, drop catches notwithstanding, mm. 
England still won a few of those key moments, and they had some pretty virtuoso performances from some of some of their batters just come off in a situation where you wouldn't ordinarily expect that to happen all the time. Most of the time, New Zealand play that percentages game and go, look, we're going to do enough that eight out of ten times we win this game of cricket. It just so happened that I think that in the second test, it was one of those two out of ten times because you had a guy come off and he scored a massive, brilliant hundred that hasn't been seen by an England player for over 100 years. Yeah, fastest 100 for over, right. over 100 years. So so you kind of have to wear that. If you're going to play the percentages, if you're going to go, we're going to try and do just enough to stay in the contest and we'll win a couple of key moments and that will win us more test matches than we lose, then this is, a, this is one of those ones that you're going to lose, unfortunately. Well, I don't think they've done that much wrong other than a couple of key moments where they elected to do a couple of things that I think Tom Latham would, if he had his captaincy druthers again, would probably make a different decision. And hey, that's the heat of the moment type of stuff. He might be making a different decision about leaving that ball at, uh, as, as well. But I mean, yeah, look, if you offered New Zealand at the start of these two tests, you're going to have England chasing 280, around 282, 290 to win in the fourth innings. You know, are you happy with that scenario? Take it or leave it. They take it every time. I think they'd take it and back themselves to win both those games, and they just haven't been able to do it. So, yeah, excellent batting from England. A couple of lost moments for New Zealand. We're going to move on and just touch quickly on the Australia series. So, Australia have mown down 300 for seven overnight against uh, Sri Lanka. Well, they needed 282 in a rain-affected game after 44 overs. The interesting thing for me here, Maxwell's come in and batted at seven and made 80 or 51 balls and seen Australia home. This is looking really good from a T20 point of view because that's T20 finishing type stuff. Mm. Aaron Finch has scored 40. Steve Smith and Manus Labuschagne have also got starts and scored a few runs. So, you know, it's starting to come together for that Australian side. The only concern now is we've got so many injuries to our bowlers that we're going to have to find or we're going to have to really test that depth. So, um, you know... Kane Richardson is down, Stark is down. There are a number of others that, have, that are injured as well. So this is a really good opportunity for Australia to find that test depth. But there's, uh, sorry, that one-day depth. But there's also some really good performances coming from the Sri Lankan side, you know. Kasal uh, Mendes not out 86. Uh, the two openers put on 100 for the first wicket. So there's there's lots to like about that, uh, that Sri Lankan batting. And even in the A game, Sri Lanka have been scoring runs against Australia as well. And Australia have been scoring runs all over the place. So that series is is actually proving, not that it's getting a lot of airtime on this podcast, but actually proving to be quite interesting from a build-up point of view for the World Cup. Yeah, look, I mean, I you know, you mentioned it there. I have not seen a, a single ball of this series. and um, But I will say that I, I've been really, really impressed from Sri Lanka about what they've, I guess what everything I've seen of them of the last six to eight months from the T20 World Cup and, uh, you know, the, the series before that again in Australia and, and all the things there, they, it seems to me like they've got exciting cricketers that are coming up, young cricketers. I know there's so many other things that are going on in there. Uh, well, they're having to navigate that, right? They're having, the to play, they're having to play cricket in amongst all sorts of upheaval, upheaval that's going on in their country, which makes their performances on the field all that more impressive because there's so many distractions that they're having to navigate, not just for themselves, but for their families and their loved ones as well. So it, it's been a, a really impressive series from that Sri Lankan team for mine. And you obviously taking, like, you know, we're still quite a wee way out from, I guess, the T20 World Cup and the ODI World Cup, but I can see that you are still taking quite a bit from the series it seems in terms of the Australia point of view and how the side is shaping up and things you are putting quite a bit of stock into what's happening here absolutely we've got to answer a bunch of questions we talked on them on the podcast what was Aaron Finch going to be able to do I think he's answered that question now he's got back-to-back 50s in 
in uh, T20s. He's been making runs at the top of the order. His captaincy has never been in question, so that's always been good. Warner's made runs as well, you know, this last game notwithstanding. So all of the guys that we had question marks around, we're starting to see answers to. The one that's still outstanding for me is who's going to bat in that middle order for Australia in T20s. Is it going to be Steve Smith or are they going to bring in Tim David? Uh I think we've answered the question about who's going to finish. That will be Stoinis, that will be Maxwell, that will be uh, Matthew Wade in the T20s, Alex Carey in the 50 overs. I think we've got our preferred four-person bowling lineup. We've got plenty of backup there by the looks of it, although I'm a little bit concerned with the amount of tap that the Richardson's got in this series as well. But, hey, 18 months ago, two years ago, if I had said to you Josh Hazelwood's best format is T20, you would have laughed me out of the room. But all of a sudden, you know, that's his that's his best format. So lots to like from the Australians. Uh, there's other cricket going on as well. India and South Africa have just completed three T20s. South Africa, not actually, no, surprisingly, they've won that series 2-1 mm-hmm. and were up 2-0. India took out the last T20 in a little bit of a low-scoring game, bowled South Africa out for 130. The spinners did the job there. South Africa are just quietly going under the radar here and becoming a good cricket side. We think we talked about that when they were down in New Zealand. They're becoming quite a good cricket side. And India are not the juggernaut, I think, that everyone thinks they are, although they're still playing with their team lineup, right? Yeah, well, that that's the thing. I can never make any sense of what India is doing or how strong they are because they've got such a... You know, such a wide They're pool so of deep. talent. They've got so many people who could play for their country. Who knows what their best eleven is like? Exactly, and I, I mean, I think that we've—I think we've said it before—that I think that's partly a problem because you don't know who to pick, and you don't know who necessarily to kind of stick with for an extended period of time. And players come in and out, and they get one or a couple of opportunities to be in the squad, and then they're sort of out of the squad. But there's that core of players that are that are there for you know most of the formats. But yeah, you know, on South Africa. I mean, we just said it uh, in terms of England on how, you know, what what are we going to make of this England side? And, and that South Africa series is shaping up as a really, really good one to see where both of those two teams are at. I mean, England's got, uh, you know, very obviously weird summer because they play New Zealand. And then I think about four or five days later after that third test, they play, what is it, the sixth test or the fifth test of that India series, test series from last year, the one that didn't finish. So they're going to finish that series play another test, and then they go into a white ball series with uh, India as well, to, out on the back of that, and then it's all white ball stuff with South Africa, and then it's uh, onto uh, South Africa test series. So that South Africa test series, by the time we get there, is going to be a great you know, lineup to say, okay, which of these two sides, I suppose, are emerging as the one that is you know, starting to make some real steps and show that they can kind of foot it with some of these top sides. Yeah, just a correction there that it's a five a five T20 series. I thought it was a three T20 series. So they've still got two to play. It's 2-1. Oh, so they've got 2-1 up with, with two to play. But that's, that's, a, that's, that's how much interest we show in this uh, in these bilateral T20 series. Well, it's all World Cup build-up, right? So you're looking at it and going, okay, who's, who's in the South Africa side for the World Cup? They've probably got their side pretty well nailed down. India have still got lots of experimenting to do. There's no Kohli. There's no Vira, uh, There's no Rohit Sharma in this team. Uh, it's captained by Pant. It's got Pandi, Pandia. It's got Shreyas Iyer, Ishan Kishan, all the guys that you'd be spe- expect to be in and around. But we're not going to see that Indian squad actually take shape until a couple of you know a couple of months out from this World Cup. So there's lots of water to go under the bridge before that happens. But yeah, this it's starting to get a little bit of momentum here. It's getting exciting. And look, last thing before we leave the podcast, a couple of. Uh 
A couple of things from the New Zealand point of view in terms of, uh, I think by the time this comes out, we might know all of the domestic contracts in New Zealand. They've, there's been some whispers of uh, kind of, you know, that they were supposed to come out today, which is the 15th we're recording this of, of June. Um, I think that was the date that some of the, the things have been released, but I haven't seen any yet. But I ha- we have seen Jimmy Neesham say that uh, he won't be returning to Wellington. He's moved, moving, well, he lives in Auckland and he's going to remain in Auckland. Said that it didn't make much sense for him to be uh, commuting to Wellington. On it was something that he could really he could kind of afford to do on a uh, national contract. But now that he's on a domestic contract, that he's going to you know prefer to live in Auckland and be at home. And it doesn't make much sense for him to be commuting. So you completely understand that. Unfortunately for him, the domestic contracts. It sounds like Auckland had kind of handed out all of theirs. And there's no contract for Jimmy Neesham. So I don't really, you know, he's kind of said he's uh, he's going to, you know, train with Auckland or train, at least train at Eden Park. He's going to look for um, internet, you know, option, discuss with them options for playing. Obviously, he can still get match fees and, and all of that kind of stuff. He's still said he's very committed to playing for New Zealand and winning his spot back. So that's really encouraging from a New Zealand point of view. But I, I it is a kind of wait and see because I wonder what maybe he looks at you know, I, I think I still speculate and think that he's probably in our T20 World Cup squad. That's in Australia, right? Maybe he sticks around and plays BBL or something after that. Maybe it gives him some, actually does give him some flexibility to kind of explore some options around the world in those tournaments. Yeah, I think I think we might see a more of Jimmy Neesham appearing in franchise tournaments as we go forward. It might even mean that he appears in the BBL for a side like the Brisbane Heat who are on the lookout for a superstar to replace Chris Lynn, who's, who's been moved on. So interesting things coming up in that domestic competition. I think that just about wraps up the 100th episode of This Week in Cricket, a slightly smaller panel this time around, but it's been fun, Stu, chatting to you about the, well, I, I think you'd probably call it a debacle of a, of a <laughs> test match against England at Trent Bridge, but it was certainly an exciting affair. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us. Stay on the lookout for more This Week in Cricket coming up and a return of the Hall of Fame. I've been able to sit down and do a bit of research for the top 30 cricketers or men's test cricketers of all time, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you again soon on another episode of the Top Order Podcast.